there are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul. Wow, once again on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Vayakel, 5782 This is a really, really special banner. Shabbos coming up, Baruch Hashem. It is Shabbos Mavarchim for Adar Sheni, the second Adar. According to many, the Adar that is perhaps the main Adar, the Adar which contains all the celebrations, the actual celebrations of of uh, of Purim, and therefore, because it's the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh, it's also Pashas Shikolim, the first of the four special lanings that we do around before Purim and after Purim, leading up to Rosh Chodesh Nisan in just over a month. So it's a very exciting, it's a very action-packed Shabbos. It's a Shabbos that we certainly are looking forward to, as in fact we look forward to all the Shabbos of the year. Thank you, thank you for joining us, for making time on a busy Friday afternoon to put on your radio, to turn on your device and tune in to to the show. This week's of course Pashas Vayakel, which we read about the construction of the Mishkan and who was the architect of that construction. So the Torah says, Ru Karashem is Bashem. Siakalishparhu has called by name Bitsalal ben Uri ben Khur Lamata Yehuda. Bitsalal was the son of Uri, the son of Khur from the tribe of Yehuda. There's an amazing Medrish Tanchuma on the Pasha that teaches us. Every time a man increases his good deeds and does more mitzvahs, he adds to his good name. Says you find that a man is known by three names. The name which his father and mother call him, the name by which other people call him, and the name he earns for himself. Proof of this is Betzalah who was granted the privilege of building the Mishkan because he had earned a good name. What is the source of this, of this concept? So it's from his name. He called him Reu Hashem. Hashem has called his name Betzalel, right? which can be read as Betzel Kel, in the shadow of Hashem. Which is this is really an intriguing statement, which needs a little bit of elucidation. What is special about the name that one earns from himself? Why is it better than the name he was given at birth or the name by which his friends call him? So Ravaliza Kanaf, who was Roshiva, former Roshiva of Torvadas. So explains the concept of Shem Shekanala Atzmai, the name that he earns for himself, as the name by which he is recognized to the point that it becomes almost a synonym for his birth name. For example, we know there were three great prophets 
Hananya, Mishal, and Azariah. They became synonymous for one who is Mekadish Shem Shemayim Barabim, publicly sanctifies himself for the glory of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? Because they were prepared to, to uh, go into the, into the fiery furnace and give their lives for, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? So when the name of one of these three is mentioned, one automatically thinks of Kiddush Shem Shemayim. Anyone who devotes himself wholeheartedly to serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, becomes a, a, a symbol of the greatness that he has achieved. And he is ultimately identified with that symbol, that specific characteristic. When one mentions the Vilna Gon, so we think of brilliance, unparalleled, Hasmada, right? In, in, in Torah, right? The Chofetz Chaim, in our minds, is the symbol of tzitkos, of righteousness and, and, and devotion, as he was the individual who literally altered our whole halachic appreciation of Shulchan Aruch, Arachayim, with his, with his classic Mishnah Brura. He also transformed how we think and speak concerning others through his Shemir Salashin. These are but a few examples, but the idea of a person symbolizing the unique quality applies to many. A shame tov is an identity. It's the name that we earn. So this is the Chazal's message concerning Betzalel's good name. Betzalel, Betzel Kel, in Hashem's shadow, Betzalel's name was the identity which he earned as a result of his own devotion to, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the telling thing. What's going to be on your, on your, on your Matseva in Shemayim? What legacy are we leaving behind? Let's think about that as we prepare for this Shabbos. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. There's so much more to come. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kedish, Pashas Vayakel, Tov Shin Pei Beis. Wow, what a Shabbos coming up. Shabbos Mevorchim, Pashash Golan. Lots to talk about. People often ask, okay, you know, like, Rabbi, you inspire me. I want to really improve. I want to become great. I want to become something special. What are really the things that I have to try to work on to try to become a really great thing. Now, that's a very, very hard question to deal with in one 10-minute segment. And I just quickly put down on the paper some ideas. So I have eight ideas. Let's see how many I can get through in, in, 10, in 10 minutes. Number one is, of course, before we're going to grow, we have to learn to control ourselves. You know, uh, 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 one of the things that was often said by the Frankfurt Rav was, what is a Yehudi, what is a Jew? Someone who controls himself and doesn't allow his desires to control, control him. They tell a, a story about one of the Talmidim of the Mazush Magid that one time after a, a, a shachras that he davened with 
fire and, and with complete concentration and like it was amazing. And you know, to the point where you know, we would think that maybe his neshama is going to leave his body. So after the uh, after they finished davening, they brought them some cups of water to to drink. And one of the Talmudim there, he couldn't wait. And he drank the water straight away. Before, you know, in those days, uh, the water came full of sand and you had to wait until the sand kind of went down to the, to the, uh, to the bottom. He was in such a, a, a hurry, he drank the, the water straight away. And the Rebbe said that in that one moment of haste, of, of lack of restraint, or the, the power of the whole tefillah that he had davened was lost. And he had to spend a tremendous, tremendous amount of time, the Rebbe, bringing that person back to his, to his level. Number two, chesed, helping other, other people. Right? It said over in the, in the name of, uh, uh, of from Zeville, that every single step that a person takes in order to help somebody else he saves for himself a thousand steps that he would have to take in order to sort out his old, his old things. Number three, hard work in serving, in serving Hashem. They say about the Beis Aaron from, from, uh, from Karlin that one time he wanted to, to, uh, light a fire. So he took a couple of stones and he began uh, you know, sort of uh, rubbing them together in order to get a fire. And they said to him, Rebbe, nowadays we have something called a match in the house. And why do you have to work so hard? So the Rebbe answered, no, no, no. I hate fire that comes easily. In other words, you want to achieve something in Kedush, you want to achieve something that's absolutely worthwhile, you need to work hard and a lot, a lot of effort. Anything that comes easily is not going to be all that, all that effective. The Pasuk says, by Aaron HaKoyin, Al Yavoy B'cholais El HaKodesh. You can't come all the time into the, into the Beis Mikdash. So the concept is that, yes, you need to come once in. And once you're in, you need to stay in and advance. Don't keep going in and out and in and out. It's so much wasted effort, and it's not going to achieve what you wanted to, to uh, achieve. We say in our davening every morning, Ma'anu, what are we? Ma'chayenu, what is our life? If a person really wants to think about and know, what anu, Ma'anu, what is our essence? So then, let him clarify, machayenu. In other words, what do you want to achieve in life? Whatever you want to achieve in life, that's really what, what in fact, you, you are. The Pelorayetz writes in, in, in his uh, essay on, on Kaife, says, Hashem, in his great mercy, will never abandon his chasidim forever. That those people who fight against and it's only the beginning of the battle that's difficult. When a person gets a little bit used to, to going on, on the proper way. So then, the, the, those different tivas and those different desires that a person has and those desires to do bad. So, uh, 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 they're not going to be there so strong. But nevertheless, 
He says, Hashem's going to give you rewards as if you were always battling and always controlling your, your Yetzar because everything goes after the, the, the beginning. Number three, sometimes a person has to have a little bit of difficulty in life. Right? The, the Rabbi Shomer Roshan said, one day of a little bit of difficulty, of a little bit of hardship, so uh, 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 counts more than what one can achieve in several weeks of, of, of unaffected, of calm kind of, kind of behavior. A very important part of our life is, of course, Shabbos. On Shabbos, it says that the neshamas in our bodies are connected to the highest neshamas. That's the concept, in fact, of the neshama yasera. And it's incredibly important, the davening. On Shabbos, the davening on Shabbos is absolutely unparalleled. If we do it properly, we can reach the very, very highest level. Of course, the next one is Taira. They say that the caravan in which Rabbi Yosef Shomel Yoshev davened was stood on, on abandoned land that was near Meir Shorim. What was, who, who did it belong to? So that piece of land was part of a, a large piece of land, relatively large, that belonged in the past to the uh, Haile Selassie, who was the, the Caesar of Ethiopia. And uh, for 34 years, Salati ruled over Ethiopia until the Ethiopian spring 40 years ago, and he was then over, overthrown. So then there became a whole legal question about, about this piece of, uh, of land and what happened to everything that, that belonged to him. And obviously amongst that was this piece of land that uh, actually was a, a sign hung on it that, that uh, declared that this was the uh, property of the Melech, uh, the, his, his, his highness, and that no one was allowed to park there. So they, uh, they got permission and they put the caravan there. So, you know, if we look at it from the Torah's vantage point, the story is exactly opposite. The whole rulership of this Ethiopian king was only established so that the lost king could be overthrown and there would be a whole question about the legal status of that piece of land and Rabbi Yosha was able to have his, his shul, his, uh, his shul there. You know, one of the uh, uh, 48 ways in which Torah is acquired is HaSameach Bechelkai. Someone who's happy with this, with this portion. And many explain that that means, and, and they explain in the name of the Goyen, that the intention is, if he's happy with whatever he's able to achieve in, in, uh, in, in, in Torah. Next one is to try to think about holy, holy things. The, the Baditshva, the Kedushas Levi, brings that a person in his service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in Torah and mitzvahs, he brings such pleasure to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when a person wants to know, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu enjoying his Avodah Hashem? So the touchstone is as follows. 
if a person sees that his heart is 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 excited and and burning like a fire in order to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and he has a tremendous kind of cheshek and and will to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu, then you can be sure that Hakadosh Baruch Hu has tremendous pleasure from his his avoda, and therefore. When uh, when Hakadosh uh, Baruch uh, sends to a person holy holy thoughts, that is a, a sure sign that he's a great a great person. Next one, of course, last one is to utilize as we were speaking before to properly utilize our our time. The Chiddush Yarim explains the Mishnah. More beautiful is one moment of doing tshuva and good deeds in this world from all of the life of Olam And he says, what is going to be Gehenim in, in the future world where a person, a Jew will be embarrassed and will be so shamed. How did he waste the greatest gift that he had in the world? Which was time. How could you have let one hour pass of the, of the time of his life without, without doing anything? These are just a few of the things perhaps we can use to, to upgrade and improve our own Avodis Hashem and bring ourselves even closer to the Heilige B'Shefer. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. We have so much more coming. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Vayakel, in the year Tafshin Pei Beis. Also Pashas Shkolem and Shabbos Mavarchem, a beautiful banner Shabbos that's coming up. And uh, such a warm welcome to all of our radio family. Thank you for being with us. So last week, we le- we learned about, we read about the sin of the Chet, of the Egel, of the golden calf that Klai Yisrael were guilty of. And now... We come to the Pasha of the fixing of that, of that Avera. Because the beauty of Yiddish Kaidi is that whatever a person might do, no matter how bad you may have sort of blotted your copy book, there's always an opportunity, there's always a chance given for a person to come back to remedy what they've done and restore their relationship with, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the way that to fix up this very, very serious sin that was something along the lines of idol worship wasn't really idol worship, but certainly it's smacked of that. The Torah tells us that the way to fix that up, the way to repair that damage was by the building of the Mishkan, the building of this temporary tabernacle. In fact, the very name that the Torah uses for the Mishkan testifies on what its very essence was. It was called Mishkan Ha'edus, the Mishkan of testimony. What testimony? Says Rashi, it was testimony for the Jewish nation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had forgiven them, had come to terms with them about the action of building of building the Egel because Hashem then agreed subsequent to the building of the Mishkan that his Shechina, 
his divine presence would dwell in the in the in the Mishkan. And therefore, this Parsha is actually called Parshas Vayakel in order to be a remedy and be a repair for that which is said Vayara Om. When the nation saw this was last week's Parsha, where the nation saw that Moshe was delayed from coming down the mountain. So there it says, the nation sort of gathered and ganged up against Aaron. So that gathering was absolutely invalid. That was inappropriate. And that was then fixed up and remedied by the gathering around Moshe Rabbeinu to hear about and to get involved in the building of the, of the Mishkan. Therefore, it comes out that the, the power of both what went wrong and what was fixed up comes about through a kehila, through a gathering together in a, in a, in a group. You know, when, when impurity, when, when tumor sort of becomes a solid entity and gathers together. So unfortunately, it gains tremendous, tremendous power and tremendous strength. Therefore, in contradistinction to that, when the Jewish nation gathers together and they unite and they agree to tandem together, to join together to, to do something positive, so that cancels out and negates all the power of of the tuma and of the and of the yates the yetsahara. So so too in the Purim story, when it came time when the Yidden needed to destroy and shatter the power of Haman, so what do they need? They need to gather together, says Ashenoslamelach, the king gave permission to the Jews, Ashabakal Iva Yir in every city, Lehikahel to gather together and defend themselves. Hashmi Laharagal Abe to destroy all the armies of the of the enemies that were that were oppressing them. Right? So we see that gathering is what brings us strength or brings us kayak. And therefore we can explain why in fact it was that Vashti was punished and as the Gemara says in Megillah Dafyud Bays, she developed a tail. And in order to explain what is this, what is a zanab, what is a tail, so it's actually an argument. The Aruch explains that any, any excess growth of a limb or, or, or skin already qualifies as being a zanab. In other words, it wasn't necessarily an actual tail. However, the Marsha there disagrees with the Yorach, and he's quite uh, upset about the fact. How come he didn't explain, according to the simple explanation, that she actually grew a nice bushy tail? As in fact we find in the Gemara stuff, Samachalach, by Odomorishan, where we're told that he was created with a tail, and afterwards, so... Uh, Chava was created from the tale of Adamorishan. And therefore the Masha explains that no, a Zanab means nothing less than an actual tale. Rabbeinu Bachya, in his Sefer, uh, Kad Hakemach on Purim, explains what is Zanab. 
says that it says that uh, Queen Vashti refused to come to the party and asked the Gemara, well, she was such a, a indecent woman. Why didn't she want to come? So it teaches us that she actually developed tzoras. She developed some form of of, uh, of leprosy. But he brings another another text that says that uh, came the Malach Gabriel and made for her a tail. And that was that some kind of extra flesh that grew on her face, right? For a, just for a short time as a, as a nace. In other words, that the, the zonav doesn't necessarily mean a, a tail. It actually means a horn. She grew a horn on, uh, on, on her head. And that's maybe the, the source for the, uh, for the song. That kids sing that Vashti has a horn, a horn on her head, right? Hashem gave her a punishment because she was a very, very bad, bad woman. Now, the Rabbi Yosef Chaim in his Sefer Benaya on Rosechus Megillah, he explains why did Hakadosh Baruch Hu make a tail for Vashti? So he says he knows that it's it's brought down that the scientists tried very, very, very hard to straighten out the tail of a dog, to make a dog's tail straight. And then they, they, they put in forms and they put attached things, but they tried as, as hard as they could to somehow alter the tail of a dog. And guess what? It didn't help at all. In fact, uh, there's a, a, a Pasuk in, in Yirmiyo, the Pasuk says, Rufo'enu es bovel, we tried to heal Bavel, the Lainer Pasa, and they weren't healed. What does that mean? Sigmar so explains that Akash wanted that from the family of Nebuchadnezzar, the one who destroyed the Besmikash, should come converts. But the, the angels were so upset by what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to do, they didn't allow him to do it, as the Gemara in Sanhedrin uh, says. Now, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar was completely, completely destroyed when Belshazzar was, was king. There was, he had no, he had no uh, children left to, to rule. The only one left was, it was this, uh, uh, the only uh, family member left was uh, Vashti. Vashti was the daughter of Belshazzar. She was the only one left from the entire family. And she married, of course, Ahasuerush, who was the Persian king. And, uh, and, and therefore, she actually became the queen of, of Persia. And then this story happened. And, uh, and, and even the last vestige of Nebuchadnezzar's family was, was, wiped, was wiped out. And that's what the Pasuka means. We tried. They tried to sort out Babel and make something from her and, and, and bring converts, and it didn't, it didn't work out. So therefore, that's like this concept of the scientists trying to straighten out the tail of, of, the, of, of the dog. They tried so hard to, to make it straight and not, and not crooked. It didn't help at all. And therefore, to, to commemorate that, that, uh, uh, that, the, through the death of Vashti, the entire kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar was wiped out. So they made her a tale. In other words, that the, this was the final death knoll 
of the of the you couldn't change them as much as Hakadosh Baruch Hu desired to make a gear out of them and have that continuity. It wasn't possible, and the death of Vashti, which was uh, comparable to this attempt to change the dog's tail, ended in their in their total total uh, uh, destruction. I think we can say even according to what we're saying now, we could perhaps explain it the tale a little bit differently. Because there's an illusion here, because we know the all the nations of of the world are compared to animals. And animals, of course, have tails. And in fact, as the Gemara says in Yavamas, that Jews, you are called Adam, you are called man, and the other nations are not called man. Therefore, the the concept of unity and gathering to get, gathering together applies only by the Jewish nation, and it doesn't does that's not relevant at all by the nations of of, of the world because they they don't have the koyach they don't have the ability amongst all of them to actually then attack and damage uh, Klai Yisrael because they don't have the power to harness. The, the the ability of yichud of, of, of coming together of achdos of oneness because of their lack of humanity of their animal type type nature. So that's the one part of the repair that was done after the chet of Egel was the Jews had the ability to gather together and create the kayach of kedusha the kayach of purity that allowed them to build the mishkan and allowed them to eradicate the negative influence. Of the of the of the Egel. <coughs> However, in the very first few psukim of this week's pasha, we see part two, another element that was used to fix up and repair, and heal, the Jewish nation from the sin of the golden of the golden calf, and that was in the second pasuk. It says, "Sheishis yomim teasem lacha, six days a week, <coughs> you shall do work." On the seventh day, it shall be holy. Anyone who does melacha will, will die. And the obvious question is, why does the Torah command us to do work six days a week? The main point of the, of the Torah's command is, don't do work on Shabbos. And that would have been sufficient. Why do we have to be told, do work for six days. So there's a Mishnah in Mesechus Ksuvis that teaches us that even a woman that has many, many, many maids and servants and all her housework is being done by her staff, <clears throat> nevertheless, she has to find herself something to do. Not to be around and be indolent and not do anything. Let her find, I don't know, let, let her do sewing, let her find some other kind of hobby to keep her busy. Don't let her sit and just do nothing. Why? Because the mission says, Shabbatola mivia lide shiamum. Doing nothing leads a person, Rashi says, either to going crazy or deep, deep depression. Now, and, and in such a situation, if a person doesn't have what to do, and obviously it applies to men also, if they don't keep busy, if they don't find something that allows them to use their intellect and their mind and their energy, 
then almost how can you expect them not to do Averis if they're not busy? Chazal tell us that the cause of the sin of the eagle was because Klai Yisrael were in the desert in a situation of not being active. They had everything. The man came down from Shemayim. That was their food, right? They had bed water to drink. Their clothing were cleaned. They were ironed. They didn't even have to, uh, you say, go to the facilities, right? Because even that was taken. Even that time they managed to save. Kodesh did this, of course, so that they should be able to use every moment, use their time to sit and learn Torah. As Chazal say, The Torah was given to those who were eating the man and had the time to sit and learn. However, Klai felt a little bit bored. They didn't have what to do. And when there's nothing to do, so then that is the source of all sin. That's what caused them to, to do the Ega. Therefore, the way of being misakin, the sin of the eagle was, Sheshis yomim teosim Find something to do. Do something positive. Be involved in something that is going to be beneficial for yourself and beneficial for the world. If it's lima Torah, that's the best. And someone isn't able to learn Torah, so let him be with, uh, involved with other volunteer work. Let him do chesed. There's so much that one, one can do. Right, in fact, as the Gemara says in, in, in Bab Metziah, that uh, 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 someone grabs somebody else's slave and makes him work for him at a time when the slave was not going to be employed by his original master, he doesn't have to pay because it's, the owner is happy with the fact that his, that his evet is being used, is being active because he shouldn't get used to a life of leisure, and therefore he's not required to 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 pay. They they tell a story in, in the Sefer on uh, of Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld about the Shagosarye, that when he was about to leave this world, so they brought him a, a sitter in order that he should say vidui before his death, and Shagosarye picked up his hands and said, These hands will testify on me that I don't need to say vidui, because I didn't have time to do any Averis. Similar story is brought about the Kotzkareba. The Kotzkareba had a, a, a custom to say over to his Hasidim, I'm not asking you that you shouldn't do Averis, because you're not, you don't want to do Averis. I'm asking you that you shouldn't do Averis because you don't have time to do Averis. And, and the Kotzka brought a proof from this, from the Gemara in Sukkah, where the Gemara says that if you have a Sukkah and there's three Tfachim of open space with no Schach at all, that already ruins the Sukkah. If you have a Sukkah with, with, with non-kosher Schach, you need four tfachim of non-kosher schach to invalidate the sukkah. And it would seem, it should be the other way around. That schach puzzle, which is its very essence, is puzzle. So that should be stricter. Those laws should be stricter than just 
empty, empty space. How come it's the other way around? So it's teaching us that a person who just is empty, there's nothing there, he's just sitting around doing nothing, is worse than a person even who's doing Averis. And therefore, the, the open space, the air, makes the sukkah puzzle sooner than even puzzle schach. Because when you're doing nothing, there's no limit to where, unfortunately, where a person can, can get to. The, the, the great Alma, the, the Shus Moshe from Viznitz. So he says there's a seeming contradiction in the words of the Gemara. On the one hand, the Gemara in Brochus and Daftalit says, train your tongue to say, I don't know. Because maybe you'll give a wrong mistake, you'll give a wrong answer, and you'll be caught saying something that wasn't true. On the other hand, there's a Gemara in Kedushin Daflamin that says, from the word Vishinantam, that words of Torah should be sharp in your mouth, that if someone asks you any question, you shouldn't have to hesitate and, 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 and fun for around, but you should be able to say him the answer straight away. So what's better, to answer straight away or to say, I don't know? See, he answered in, in a way of, of Musa. He said, no, when the Gemara says, I don't know, what does it mean? That's referring to the, our response to our Yetzirah. That when the Yetzirah comes to you and he's trying to convince you to, I don't know, to waste your time and do something that's completely unproductive. Go for a walk now. Go play computer games. Go do something. Go read a newspaper or something like that. So then say to him, I don't know. You know, I still don't know all of Shas. I still haven't finished the four sections of the Shulchan Aruch. I have so much to do. You know, I don't have the time. I don't want to waste my time. And, and that's what you should answer to, to the Yetzirah. In the same way, he explains the, the Gemara in Sukkah, which says that if the Yetzirah comes to try to trap you and try to get you to do all kinds of things, drag him to the basement. If he's a stone, he'll melt. If he's iron, he'll explode. In other words, when the Yetzirah comes to suggest to a person to waste his time, drag him to the basement, show him all the sforum on the shelf, and say to him, look, there's so many I haven't learned yet. Please, God, when I finish all that, then I'll have time to listen to listen to you. This is truly the way of fixing up any temptation to do an Avera. Just be busy. Study Torah. Be involved in the Chesed. And then you will solve the problem of the Yetzirah. This is 101.9 High FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, soul to soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kedish, Pashas Vayakel, Pasha Shkolim, Shabbos Mavorchim, Adar Sheni, in the year Tav Shin Wow, what a special Shabbos. And a warm, warm welcome to all of you who are joining us perhaps now at this point on the show. It's so great to have you with us. Thank you for making the time to spend a few minutes with us 
and get yourself jacked up and ready for another beautiful, beautiful Shabbos Kodesh, as we always do at this time. Let me share with you the important times and information you need to know for this Shabbos. So let's start with now. The earliest time for lighting Shabbos candles this afternoon is at 22 minutes past 5. It's getting earlier all the time. 5.22 already you can light the candles, get your Shabbos started, get that energy of the beautiful Shabbos into your home as soon as as possible. The latest time for lighting Shabbos candles this week is at 24 minutes Past 6, 6.24 is the latest time for lighting the candles. Many still stick to the standard summer, which is fast disappearing, uh, candle lighting time of 6.15. And obviously, uh, by the time uh, 6.24 comes, you need to get your candles up and, and ready and get Shabbos uh, started by then. Shkia is at 6.42. Of course, Shkia is your absolute injury time you really, really need, uh, 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 you know, you're desperately stuck behind uh, something and, and, and you can't get home or whatever it is. But 6.42 is the absolute latest time for getting into your Shabbos. If you want to daven Mayrev and not have to repeat the Krishma, if you can wait till 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock is the magic time and that already would be considered night and you won't have to repeat the the uh, the Krishna, and then you can sit down as always and 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 enjoy a beautiful beautiful Leil Shabbos. Ah, how precious Shabbos is! How wonderful Shabbos is! After a week of hard work, after a week of effort, after a week sometimes maybe of frustration and difficulty, ah, just to sit down and unwind and spend time with the family and sing some zemiras and and say some devotion and have some delicious food. Ah, what a tiny, what a beautiful beautiful. Upper opportunity. Tomorrow is Shabbos Kodesh, Parshas Vayakel, but it is also being the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh Adar Sheni. It is also Parshas Shkolem. We take out a second Sefer and read a special Mafkir from the beginning of Parshas Kisisa, which deals with the Indian of the Machzisa Shekel, the half Shekel that every single Jew had to give in order that he should be able to acquire a portion in all the communal sacrifices that were given by the, while they were offered up by the Koinim in the Beismitkash on a daily, on a daily basis. So to remind us of that, we read this Pasha. And of course, because it's a special uh, Maftir, it gets a special Haftira that we read the Haftarah Pasha Shkalim from the book of of, uh, of Malachim. And also this week is, of course, Shabbos Mavarchim. Shabbos Roshchadish Adar Sheni will be Bez Hashem next week on Thursday and Friday. It's about time we talk next week. It's already going to be the first of Adar Adar Sheni and Purim will be sort of staring us in the face. It's still only three weeks, less than three weeks away. Uh, from 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 today, uh, so Shabbos welcome. Shabbos is on Thursday. Avraham is on Thursday and Friday. So obviously we won't say Avrahamim. Uh, we won't uh, say Askaras Neshamas, and we go through a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos day. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at thirteen minutes past seven. Seven thirteen is the end of Shabbos. So we have the last few days then of Adarishan and get ready for Rosh Chodesh 
Adashani coming up coming up next week. <clears throat> we are dealing with the laws of Kiddush. So let's talk a little bit about the the cup that we have to use for the Kaysh Shabrocha. There are specific laws Achachamim have instituted that there are various different blessings that we are required to say over a cup of uh, of wine. For example, we said the, the bracha one makes at a at a wedding, the bracha of the, of the kedushin, uh, when a couple gets married, the 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 the, the masada kedushin has a cup of wine and says Baruchin. The sheva brachas are always said over a cup of wine. Benching, in many situations, if you have a zimun, many have the custom to bench, particularly at, at an event, at an occasion, to bench over a cup. Of wine, and of course, Kiddush and, and, and Abdallah. And since we're saying over this cup a, a special bracha for the honor of, of Akadish Baruchu, so obviously that uh, cup that we're going to use should be a very respectful, should be a very beautiful cup, should be an outstanding cup because it's been used for something that's so important to honor Akadish Baruchu. And our, our Chazalef fixed certain dinim. Regarding that cup, first of all, number one, the cup that we use to make Kiddush over needs to be a complete cup without any cracks or, or, or blemishes or nicks, even around the, uh, the edge, particularly around the edge where we're going to drink, or even on its, on its base. It should be a complete cup with no, no pieces missing, no, nothing crushed, nothing out of, out of kilter. And, if you don't have such a cup, you don't have a complete cup without any kind of blemishes. So then, you could even use a cup that has some imperfection, but surely, ideally, that's not such a great idea. If it's, let's say, if it is, however, has, let's say, a crack through which wine is going to actually flow out of the cup to the point where it might not hold the sufficient amount of wine that it needs to hold in order to fulfill the mitzvah, which is the amount of a revius. We'll discuss in a moment what, what that is. So then it, it's no longer valid. It cannot be used even, even bidyevit. Now, if you have a choice of various cups you could use, so it's certainly appropriate to pick the most beautiful to make the bracha over it. Many have the uh, uh, the custom to try to really go out of the way and make the kiddush over a silver, a silver cup, which is a, which is a very beautiful way of doing it. Right? If there's no other uh, 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 cup, then even if one has a a a cup that's a disposable cup, a simple disposable cup, then b'dyeved you could make. A, a, a you know, the fact that, let's say, a, a polystyrene cup, uh, the fact that we throw it away after use doesn't make it a, a disposable cup. Because in our affluent society, we, we throw it, we throw it away. So a, a, a polystyrene cup or a proper plastic cup could certainly be used. The only thing that might be questionable is you have sort of like paper cups and after the first use they already start getting kind of weepy and, 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 and moist and, and, and not very nice anymore. That might be a problem 
to, to use, but certainly the fact a, a cup that we call a disposable cup is still able to be used for, for, for Kiddush. We need to make sure that the cup is completely clean. The cup that we're going to use should be absolutely uh, clean, and if someone uh, drank from it, or it got uh, dirty in some other some other way, so then one should wash it out, one should rinse it out inside and outside before filling it with with kiddush wine. Again, bidiyavad. If for whatever reason it's it's uh, impossible or very difficult to wash out the cup, so then you could uh, wipe it out and clean it just with a, a a serviette or something like that, and at least clean it that that uh, that way, right? Even though, as we said, uh, uh, it's sufficient to have a cup of wine that contains just a, a revius. So if the cup actually contains more than the amount of the revius, so still, it's still a mitzvah to fill it up all the way to the brim with uh, with 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 uh, with wine, even though you only need a kazoos, because that is the covet for the bracha we're going to make over that cup that it should be made over a full a full full cup. Now, some have the minute to actually fill the cup up to the point where it's like uh, a brimming over the top, not overflowing, but a, a wine because it's heavy actually forms a little bit like of a cap at the top of the uh, at the top of the cup that uh, and of course uh, unless you have iron sort of clad uh, a balance uh, a control very likely some of the wine is going to spill out during the course of uh, of kiddush it's going to spill on the hand of the person making making a, a, a bracha, but it would seem perhaps that it's even more of a higher degree to fill the cup up until just underneath the, the, the rim so that uh, you don't have to spill wine on the hand of the person making the bracha. And that's still considered a kois mole. It's still considered a full cup that our, our chazal intended when they spoke about making a kois bracha. We'll come back with a few more of the rules of the kosher bracha. But right now, we're going to take a little break. This is 101.9 Haifa, and the program is Soul to Soul. And this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul, back on your radio air of Shabbos, Kurdish Pashas, Fai Yaakov, 5782. Our last few minutes together as we then have to disappear and go off into the, into the, into the uh, ether to go prepare our Shabbos and get ourselves ready for another beautiful Shabbos. We're talking about the cup that needs to be used for making, making Kiddush. We spoke about already some of the rules, just to add a few more, if I have a cup and there's wine in it, but wine has already been drunk from that that cup, right? Uh, uh, and therefore now there's just some wine left over. Or if someone drank straight from the bottle, uh, I'm not going to comment on that. So that wine that's left over either in the cup or in the bottle is is called Yain Pogum. It's no longer eligible, it's no longer acceptable to be used for Kiddush or Avdallah. What can we do if you want to use that wine 
and and use it for Kiddush and Abdullah. So then what you can do is, if I take some other wine that has not been impugned and I pour it in it, let's say there's, in, in the case of the cup, so I have a cup in which there's some wine left over from the last person that made Kiddush, I can take wine from a bottle that hasn't been drunk from, pour a little bit into the into the uh, uh, cup, and that that fixes it, that fixed up, I can then pour it back into the bottle if I want to, or I can I can then uh, use it for 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 Kiddush, because by adding more of the wine, so now the wine becomes all right again, it comes like new wine. If the wine is very strong, so I can fix it up by adding some water, However, if there's no way of fixing up the wine that's been the problem, so I could even make Kiddush over over such a, a wine that has been drunk from uh, uh, previously. Achachamim said that you first, when you pick up a cup of wine, you pick it up in originally in both hands, and then you, in order to, to, to show that it's how precious it is. And then, when you're ready to make Kiddush, you hold it in your right hand alone, because that is the, the, uh, the distinction of, of the right. And you should hold the cup with all of your fingers, so that your fingers are sort of wrapped around the, the cup. The cup is on the palm of your hand. You pick up the cup at least sort of eight centimeters of tefach off the table in order that everyone should be able to see it. You should be looking at the cup when you make Kiddush and that helps you focus and not, not be distracted. If you need to, obviously, you can look in the, in the siddur while you're making the Kiddush. And it's even better that you should sort of hold the cup and the siddur near each other so that I can look both in the sitter and at the cup at the same at the same uh, uh, time. And after you finish Giddish, right? Everyone should listen. Everyone should say Amen. You then give some wife uh, some wine to your wife and to uh, everyone else who's uh, who's there because that spreads the bracha around to to everybody. There's lots more to talk about, but our time today is over. And it's just enough moments to take the opportunity to thank you all for joining us and to wish every one of you a beautiful Shabbos, a special Shabbos, a Shabbos Mubarakim and Shabbos Shkalem, Shabbos Pashas Vayakel. It should be a beautiful, uh, uh, enlightening, illuminating Shabbos for you. Shabbos for you learn some Torah, a Shabbos for you absorb some beautiful ideals that want to make you raise your whole life around, as we've spoken a lot about some really, really important things today, how we can fix up the sin of the Egel, how we can reach true, true perfection in many, many areas, and therefore I just end by wishing all of our amazing radio family a beautiful, exciting, and illuminating Good Shabbos.